Jason Rodebeck, and I'm here um, <clears throat> with Carlisle and Mario, and they're going to introduce themselves in a moment. Um, we're uh, I'm having a conversation with them because uh, here at Forging Plowshares, we're um, one of the things that we're really um, interested in is is understanding what it means to do peace um, and to hammer out the details of living peacefully with one another. And um, I'm, I'm here because uh, with Carlisle and Mario because um, I've known Carlisle. How long have we known each other, Carlisle, um, through social media? I think maybe a year and a half or so. year and a half now. And you've known my wife, Vangie, through some of the work that you all have both done in the um, in uh, disability ministry, I want to ask Carla and Mario. Um, I want to ask you guys if you would just to introduce yourselves. Tell me a little bit about yourselves, your background, where you're from, and uh, um, you know, uh, help us know a little bit about yourselves. Well, I'm Carlisle King. I'm uh an autistic adult. I was diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder when I was 35. Um, I have a master's degree in education. I work at Boise State University. I'm married and I have one child. Tell me about, um, about being diagnosed at 35. That seems uh, a lot later than what most people with uh, um, with autism are diagnosed? I've actually had uh, several incidents throughout my life where people have suggested that I might have autism, uh, starting with uh, teachers. Uh, the first one that I definitely remember is my math teacher in high school, uh, but my parents weren't really interested in the diagnosis. Um, I only pursued a diagnosis later as an adult because I was suicidal and my wife had done some research and found out that uh, untreatable depression frequently accompanies autism and so we decided to go see a psychologist just to see if that might be the case and that's how I got my diagnosis. How did your life change um, after your diagnosis? Well, for me, it was uh, uh, a way to look back and see explanation of how things were, but I still had plenty of life ahead, and uh, honestly, I had decided that my life was going to change or it was going to end. Uh, So this became a way for me to be able to talk about the problems that I had experienced and uh, why I felt disconnected with people and why I needed connection and how I needed perhaps people to adjust a little bit so that we could better connect. Um, It has been quite a struggle, but I have gotten to the point, I think, where I've been able to explain it to the right people, and I'm starting to make connections. How old are you now? Do you mind if I ask, Carlo? I'm 42. 42. So that's been seven years since your diagnosis. Has uh, how how is it? How long has it taken you since the diagnosis to really start to to work through uh, what that means to develop um, the kind of relationships with people that maybe you didn't uh, that you struggled to have before the diagnosis? 
in general, I think I have only started to develop examples of what would be good relationships with people in the last year or so. Okay. Um, it's been two years since I started working at Boise State University, and that's a, a been a very good place for me to work, and I've developed some good relationships with my coworkers, which has historically been a struggle. Um, I think it's been helpful to be able to explain to them that I am autistic and how that makes me different. Um, I've only been hanging out and fishing with Mario for uh, yeah, a little bit over a year now. Um, well, and it's just been in the last year where I've uh, really been able to build the kind of relationships that I need. Uh, I've finally gotten to the point to where things are going well for me in a workplace, and it's been really nice having the people around me at work understand that I'm autistic and uh, being able to develop friendships with parents like Mario, who has an autistic son, uh, so he already understands a bit about it, and we have some similar interests. Uh, so it's, it's made it easier to find people uh, that have some understanding of it. Uh, before that, it was uh, it was kind of a matter of me going up to people and saying, uh, I, you seem interesting, I'd really like to be your friend, I'm a little bit different, but and I, I, I experienced a lot of rejection uh, doing it that way. Well, that, uh, <laughs> that seems like a very autistic way to go about it, <laughs> if you don't mind me saying. Um, you know, very um, – My uh, the reason I could say that is my stepson is also autistic. And so I've had to – watching him interact with right. the world, um, uh, the social nuance is very difficult for him. And so to uh, for him, it just makes complete sense to come right up to somebody and say, well, you seem interesting. I'd like to get to know you. Um, and, you know, most folks – Kind of, uh, they they think, well, I've never heard anybody say that to me, and so they kind of get standoffish about that. Um, Mario, um, tell me a little bit about yourself. And um, Carlisle mentioned that you've got a, a son who's autistic. Well, um, you know, uh, thank you uh, for the opportunity. But uh, my name is Mario, and uh, Mario Puente, and I have a son named Tyler. Uh, he's 17 years old. He was diagnosed. Uh, uh, being autistic when he was two years old, um, I made uh, when he was younger. We were actually very, very blessed to notice that there was a, a, a lady that was in a store, <laughs> a thrift store of all places, and she just noticed the way my son was playing with the trains in the thrift store. That he was kind of lining them up, and he was just staring at the wheels, spinning them, as opposed to actually playing with them like a, a neurotypical kid would. And so one of the things was, so she actually approached my wife with, you could really tell, and I'm glad she did, with a real caring heart and, and, and told us about it, told my wife about it. She came home, and we researched it, and the, a couple months later, our son had a diagnosis. At that point, I found that my responsibility, you know, just as a parent, to, uh, to find out as much as I could about autism and people, people with autism in general. So uh, we moved to Boise, Idaho from Southern California. Uh, and moved over here and just started our life, uh, starting trying to make a difference in our community, trying just to be a part of whatever was around. Um, during that time, I was able to uh, meet some 
really just great individuals who were actually set on, on who are part of the Treasure Valley Autism Society, and uh, and uh, they introduced me, asked me to come join the board. Uh, I went to a meeting, got voted in uh, to join the board. Met Carlisle, and uh, from then on, it just kind of just went on from there. But one of the things that actually got me interested in the board was uh, there were autistic adults for the first time that I was able to uh, to really uh, befriend, that I was really to talk to, really able to learn from. One of the things that Carlisle and I strongly believe in, and uh, and not to sound blasphemous or anything, but I, I call it our uh, the autism. John three sixteen, <laughs> you know, basically. But and basically, all it, all it is is if parents of autistic children don't befriend autistic adults of today, they cannot reasonably expect future generations to befriend their autistic children. And that's a powerful statement because if I really want to make a better world for my son later on and hope that people are going to listen to him, then I should listen to autistic adults, learn from them. And I've seen in the past where people go, well, it's draining to, 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 to communicate with them, to have to understand an autistic person. And I think it's because you're trying too hard maybe to understand instead of just being there and just listening. And one of the things that I've, I've told Carlisle, and I think one of the things that's made a, a difference in our friendship, I will always treat him like a man. I will treat him like a man, and I will voice my opinion, but I will sometimes understand that his response may come from an autistic adult. And because of that, we've been able to grow a relationship that we call the nearly unbreakable relationship. And that's what's important in any type of relationship, especially one with an autistic adult. So in a nearly unbreakable relationship that Carlisle can explain a little more what it means to him, but what it means to me is that we have an open dialogue that we can say things to each other that we may not understand at the time, but we know that even if we get a little upset, that that relationship is still there. It's not terminated. That we're that we can get through things, and we're going to be able to to be able to have that dialogue about that conversation, whatever it was later on. You know, and and that's important because Carlisle can explain. I'll let Carlisle explain to you why that's important to him. For me, it's important because I'm a pretty straightforward guy. And I've, I've told Carlisle over <laughs> many times, I will say stuff that you won't like because I just believe certain things. That's the way I am. But at the same time, he he respects that because, like I said, I treat him like a like a man first, like a like a normal person. And I want to understand what he's coming from. And I'll be honest with you, I've learned more in the last year and a half my relationship with Carlisle and with other autistic adults that I've had in the last year and a half. And I've learned in my whole life from books, from therapists, from, from professionals who have tried to help me and my son. Um, in the past, if someone told me that I could buy a $10,000 magic coconut and drop it on my son's head and it would cure him, I would have bought 10, 5,000 or 10, $10,000 coconuts and dropped them on my son instead, hoping that I was going to cure him because I am a hopeful person I am, and I'm a parent. But during these things, you learn, you know, you're not looking for a cure. It's about an understanding. It's learning how to, how to communicate with people, how to communicate with an autistic individual, a person who, who is autistic. And so that's, that's what, we're, I'm try, what we're trying to do with our relationship is show people you can have a relationship. 
you can do that. And in that relationship, there are benefits that, that can far out, out far exceed any book, anything that you can ever read about autism from any specialist that are not autistic. Because one of the things, if you want to learn about something, you want to learn how to be an electrician, you learn from a, a you become an apprentice to another electrician. You want to learn something, you learn from the horse's mouth. And not that Carla has a horse, but <laughs> he does have a big beard. But he can. But I'm not from Carlisle, <laughs> you know. And uh, I, I get it directly from him. It, it helps me with my relationship with my boy. It helps me understand people in general. Because whether you're autistic or you're what we call neurotypical, we all want the same thing. We all want to have be accepted for who we are, what we are. We all want inclusion, and we all want it. To, to fulfill our own personal needs. Mario, that, I mean, there's so much uh, there. I was trying to write down some notes um, as, you, as you said them. Um, you talked about one of the things that is a huge fear, um, and I'm really new to this. Um, I married my wife uh, uh, just five, uh, four years ago. Um, I really ought to know this for sure, four or five years. It was four years ago. Um, and Noah was already, um, you know, he's already been around for nine, ten years at the time, uh, so, or 12 years at the time. So, um, um, I, you know, I kind of came into it getting to know an autistic boy who's, um, who I haven't known from, from birth. And so there was a huge learning curve for me. And I remember watching my wife um, when she would talk about him and what she's worried about with him. The things that she would be worried about would be not the things that uh, sometimes folks with uh, of the, the term you use is neurotypical. It's, a, it's, it's, uh, it's the right term, I think. Not the folks of... Not that what the parents of neurotypical kids are are concerned about, um, which is you know getting my kid to college and making sure he's got a great career. We're concerned about those things too, but there are more basic concerns. How's he going to have friends? Um, how is he going to interact with the world around him and when he's out in public and bumps into a stranger uh, because some of those social uh, pieces are there. So what you said about befriending autistic adults in your John 3.16 uh, reference there, um, that um, it seems to me like that has got to, on a very basic level, um, uh, speak some piece into the hearts of people that are dealing with um, trying to raise a child um, with autism and worrying about those kinds of things. Well, yeah, those are definitely um, thoughts, and I'm not going to lie, they keep me up at night sometimes. Um, you know, our, our, our children, they have good days, they have bad days, just like anybody else does. Um, the difference is we want to be there for the good days. Um, what, but what I've learned, and the reason why it's so beneficial, it's in, I want to say beneficial only, but it's necessary for us to talk to other autistic adults, like for instance Carlisle and other people that I that I met that can articulate their feelings. Is because unfortunately, the the pain that they've gone through and the things that they've experienced 
are so etched into their mind, into their heart, that they could tell you how they felt at the moment when it happened and what they were thinking in those moments. Well, my son, he may be having an episode or behavior, some people like to call it, or you know, whatever it may be happening at the time, he's not going to be articulate to that, that to me at the time. And my son's uh, nonverbal. He makes a lot of noises, but he is nonverbal. So I'm not going to understand that. But when I can talk to Carlisle and he says, well, did you think that maybe this is the problem? And I go, oh, and I put two and two together. And then as we start looking at these different things, then it helps me understand in the moment what's happening and how I can better understand my son. Well, when I start thinking on that level, then what happens is these moments become fewer and further between where I'm having these meltdowns or we're having these issues where I'm not understanding my son. So going back to, like you were saying, how do I kind of prepare and how do I, I, you know, does it do I, what do I do for my son's future? You know, how do I worry about that? I've always had the mentality, as long as I'm here, my son's going to be fine. But the fact of the matter is the worst thing a parent could want is to want to outlive their children. And that keeps me up at night. And that's the worst thing you want. And the only way that I can make a difference, even though it may not be in time for my son, but hopefully for someone else's, is if we start empowering autistic adults. Because the fact of the matter is, if you look at the rates, if you look at the studies, when when children are young, up until the point they're 18 or 21, there's all kinds of great programs for them. There's things out there, people reaching out. As soon as they become adults, they're like, okay, you can go live in a home where you're on your own. I hope you're good luck. And that's the problem. And that's why you see a high suicide rate that, like I said, Carlisle can maybe talk about that and those feelings once you become an adult of the loneliness that's attached with that. And that's what we need to stop. Because as long as I'm around, as long as my son's young, he's going to have me, my wife, he's going to have these people around him that I can advocate for them. But once they become older, who's going to help them advocate for them? How are they going to, how can we position uh, autistic teach them when they're young how to abdicate. The only way we're going to learn that is if we help autistic adults advocate, and then we learn that step. I think that even though the therapy and all the things that we're doing for young kids are, are important, necessary, but we've left a big step out of not helping the adults to be able to educate us of what we're doing. Carl, I was hoping you might speak a little bit to what Mario is saying about those things, uh, maybe specifically about um, issues of um, depression as an adult and um, um, talk a little bit about um, how friendship, what friendship means to you in, in working through those, those feelings of depression and loneliness. All right. Uh, I'd like to rewind back to something Mario said, which was uh, our concept of a nearly unbreakable relationship. Yeah. Uh, kind of important to this. Uh, this is actually a committed relationship, almost like a marriage. We have actually spelled out to each other that we will be friends through almost anything. Hmm. And by almost, if I were to go and beat up his wife, that would probably end the friendship. Most definitely. <laughs> so okay. friendship will not Noted. end over something minor. I, I can and I have actually yelled at Mario, and we talked about it. 
so short of something really extreme, we're going to be friends no matter what, and we're going to go through stuff, and we're going to figure it out when it's over. Uh, That's a, can you – do you mind if I interrupt? I can see, I, you know, knowing um, my stepson um, as I do, you know, that I can – I think is is really important, and it seems like it's important to you to be able to say, you know, we have we have said from the beginning that this is what our friendship is, and these are the kinds of things that can break it. These are the kinds of things that are not going to break it. Um, why do you think that's important to be able to say that at the beginning of that friendship? Well, quite honestly, I look at nearly any situation uh, in terms of the rules that apply. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are rules that apply to every situation. Uh, I don't care if people say go in and be yourself or whatever. Uh, if they are genuinely honest, they will admit that they can go into a, a social situation and they can figure out these unspoken and unwritten rules. Absolutely. I can't very easily figure out these unspoken and unwritten rules. I need them to be spoken or even perhaps written. Uh, one thing that I have been really amazed to discover is the number of people who were diagnosed late in life who have served in the military. And I'm not just talking about my fellow American autistics. I know people in Canada and Australia and in Europe who have served in their country's militaries and then later found out they were autistic. And in comparing notes, we found out that we were all attracted to the military because the rules are spelled out. Yeah. And you can tell how you need to interact with someone based on their uniform. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the kind of things that make friendship much more easy for me. Uh, a lot of my social anxiety comes from not really being sure what, uh, what I can do, what I should do, or any of that. So. Having this committed relationship up front, and the things that we have decided would break this are things I would never dream of doing anyway. (laughs) Good. (laughs) But uh, this is very reassuring to me because if I screw it up, he's not going to just walk away from me, which I have had happen so many times in the past. Uh, I can fail miserably as a friend, and then we can turn around and figure out how to make it work better. So what Uh, we're talking about is intentionality, that in order to do friendship, there's got to be this intentionality about the way we communicate what that means to both of us. Is that Something that may resonate with some people, I've heard the complaint a lot, especially when I was going to college, uh, I can't get a job because I don't have any experience, but I can't get any experience because I don't have a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about it, relationship skills and social skills, nobody teaches those. The only way you're going to learn them is to actually get into a relationship and get some experience. But it seems people don't want to connect with someone who doesn't know how to act socially, who doesn't know how to be in a relationship. Yeah, it's autism, autistic person. And that's made it extremely difficult. And uh, my psychologist, in explaining my depression to my wife, told her that autism leads to social dysfunction, 
which leads to social anxiety, which leads to depression, which leads to further social dysfunction. <laughs> and he said, this was the reason that you could put me on any antidepressant you wanted, and I could still be depressed. Uh, and that's actually what landed me in his office. I had been on so many different antidepressants with no success. Uh, what ultimately worked was putting me in, in relationships where I was no longer socially dysfunctional. Wow. I can be whatever I want in my relationship with Mario. I can make jokes that I don't think anybody would ever laugh at, and maybe he won't, but it's okay because I get to try it out. And that gives me the opportunity to learn what works and what doesn't work without all of the anxiety, and then I can apply what I've learned from that to other situations. Uh, there, there's so much here. Um, um, knowing the other, um, getting to know somebody for who they are. I have this. Um, I am a cat person. Um, we have a dog and a cat, and every now and then I run into somebody that says, um, "You know, I'm not a cat person." You meet some of these guys that, "Oh, I hate cats." You know, I just can't. Hand, I can't handle being around cats. Because cats are different, they um, they're not uh, you know they're more aloof. They uh, they don't come when they're called. They um, you know the easel litter box or whatever. And um, it occurred to me years ago, and I, actually I, I I kind of gleaned this. Um, I, I inferred it from uh, Temple Grandin's book, "Animals Make Us More Human." That um, one of the things that uh, sort of comes out in that book when she's talking about the different animals is she's really learned how to study each animal that she writes about in in its own terms and be able to talk about what it thinks and how it acts and why it acts a certain way. And, and what she's able to do is, and I, this is where I think what I think uh, she means by being more human is being able to understand the other in their perspective, um, in a way where I'm not trying to change them to be more like me or more like some other idea of what that person ought to be for me. So, you know, when I talk to somebody about, you know, my cat, who's actually sitting right here on the table next to me at the moment, what I try to tell them is, you know, you have to learn to love a cat on its own terms. And if you do that, you find that, you can have a relationship with a cat that's it's different than your relationship with your dog, but you that's really what it means to be human is to be able to come out of myself enough to get to know another person and to get to know them on their terms. And I think so much what we've expected folks in the autism community, and I think in lots of different communities like this, we want them to be more like us to ease our discomfort rather than trying to also, because there's a real responsibility we both have, but rather than trying to also get to know them for who they are and, and learn how to love them for who they are. And it sounds like that's really, if you don't mind me saying from hearing you guys talk, that's what I feel like I'm hearing you say is we've had to work We've made a decision to work hard to get to know each other 
and to understand each other and to accept each other with appropriate boundaries um, in a way that we let the other be the other and practice presence with them. Does that sound kind of, I'm, I'm, um, that's what I feel like I'm hearing. It sounds pretty close and it is actually <laughs> funny. Uh, talking about your cat reminded me of a meme that has circulated through the adult autism communities uh, online. Uh, usually it has a picture of a cat on it and it says, it's not a disabled dog. It's a cat. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Basically meaning that if you expect it to be a dog, it's going to come up short. But if you realize it's a cat, then you can get along. <laughs> I love it. You got to share that meme with me on Facebook. If uh, I will find a copy and send it to you. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's wonderful. Um. The nearly, let's see, we, I, I wanted some stuff I wrote down, as you said, the nearly unbreakable relationship. We kind of talked about that, and you talked about the rules that apply. Um, how has your, your friendship and this message, because I know you've done some speaking um, and sharing your reflections. How has this um, been accepted and what effect has this had on the people that you've met through the Autism Society? What's the reaction that you're getting from folks? What do you think, Mario? You start with that one, then I'll go from that. All right. Well, uh, for me, uh, I'm not too sure how well I can gauge uh, other people's observations, but I can say uh, that once one person – uh, decided to be my friend, uh, and then that person uh, started sharing that with other people, it became much easier for me to get to know other people. Uh, on the timeline of that, Mario is relatively late. Uh, he and I only met, uh, like I said, about a year ago. Um, but several years ago, uh, uh, a mom of a, an autistic child and one non-autistic child uh, took a liking to me because I was able to help her better understand her son. And uh, she started sharing with others uh, the things that could be learned from getting to know me and being my friend. Uh, and that has in turn given me a lot more opportunities. Um, one thing that has been a, a frustration for me, though, is that it has been very difficult for me to get to know other men and get connected with other men. Um, Mario is really the first man who has uh, made a, a commitment uh, to sticking with me and to learning uh, all that he can so that he can be uh, a better friend for me. And... Uh, I'm hoping that that will lead to more opportunities to connect with other men. I, I'm wondering why it is that that it's harder to to find men that are willing to to engage in those kind of relationships. Maybe Mario uh, can. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, a very good explanation. It's uh, not politically correct, but it's it's probably very true. So, uh, so 
the fact of the matter is, um, what I found is in, in people like Carlisle and people who are autistic, they want to be heard. They want to have that conversation. They want those emotions that have, like I mentioned earlier, that have scarred them, that have that are still inside. They want to get rid of those because they don't want that pain anymore. And the fact of the matter is most men don't want to listen to that. Hmm. And it's unfortunate. And that's why you don't see a lot of men in general active in the autism community with their children. It is it is is a prime it is primarily women based. And unfortunately, when you do try to get men together, they want to do things. Hey, let's let's us dads get together, let's all do something, you know, it's like I want to hang out with other dads with my kid. I want to do stuff that we can do together, including our children, to teach them how to do this stuff and how, how to have relationships with other people. You know, like like I said, you know, adults need to befriend other adults so children can have that benefit later. It's just basically what it is. And so men, you know, just I it's harder it's harder for them to communicate. It's harder for them to emotionally attach. For instance, Carla, he likes to fish. Um, I've introduced I like to off road. I'm a real big off road junkie. I take him along with me. We do these things together. These are things that he enjoys to do. Granted, there's not a lot of communication during these times, and sometimes there is. But these are things that normal males would do. But there's also times where we would sit down and, and communicate and talk, where we can just have a, a, a conversation, and I can and he can tell me what's, what's on his mind, and I can tell him what I experience in life. You know, I, I hear you talking about some of these um, um, uh, social constructs that, you know, I, personally, I think, um, you know, things like machismo, um, the, you know, that you have to, that a man has to have a certain uh, set of interests and a certain, um, certain way of relating to other men that, um, uh, you know, portrays uh, whatever sense of, of manhood we get from the movies or whatever it is that are uh, from watching sports or whatever. What really seems to be the problem is that these, these cultural expectations about um, what it is to be a man that end up getting in the way of what it really means to be a human. Um, that, um, and, and, and I hear you talking about being able, you said um, being with each other, Earlier, I think you said it, um, if I can remember correctly, you said something about being together um, in, in such a way that um, you're just there. Um, and then when you talked about going off-roading, I, I, was, I, I heard that part and I thought, um, you said, you know, we might talk, we might not, um, but still what you're talking about is uh, being present with each other. And that, I think, probably is related to your idea about the nearly unbreakable relationship um, that, you know, we've said that these are the things that, that these are the only things, these are the expectations we have for what could break this. Um, this other stuff can't. So it seems to me that what that really ends up doing is freeing you um, from having to have this expectation that the other has to maintain this certain level of today you've got you've got to talk all this all the time this much you've got to sports all the time this much you've got to fish all the time this much 
Instead, um, sounds like from what I'm hearing, you're able to just be present in a way that lets you completely be who you are with one another um, in a way that frees each other from those expectations. That is, that is, that is partially true. Um, that, that's, that's an, a big thing. Um, and one of the things that Carlisle expressed to me, and I really want him to explain this. So if you have a, a moment uh, after I to ask him about this is, is um, that, if you and I were, were friends and we had a, a communication, all of a sudden we didn't talk for two or three months, there would be no issue. We could call each other and say, hey, okay, and we'd probably pick up right where we left off. Not a problem. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be a problem. We all have relationships like that. However, when with a friend with an autistic individual, the reason why the nearly unbreakable relationship is so important is because it's kind of like one of those things. If If – I don't communicate with Carlisle. If, if a couple of weeks go by, he might text me and I just don't get back to communicating with him because I'm busy with work or something. Then he may think, oh my gosh, an autistic individual, not necessarily just Carlisle, but an autistic individual may think, what did I do wrong? Then they start analyzing the friendship. And then they start getting depressed about the friendship. And then there's other emotions and things that get involved. And it's that understanding of what, you, what your relationship and what your friendship means to that person is when you're able to put your own your own feelings aside and be able to say, hey, all it takes is just a little communication. Because Carlisle and I have co- completely different ways that we like to communicate. I, I don't like texting. I don't like emails. I don't like any of that stuff. I like to talk to someone face-to-face or quickly on the phone because I feel I can get my point across straight straight through. I feel that I can, I can express the disappointment in either or enjoyment in my voice of how I feel. And I can also feel or I can get that from the other person. It does two things. It allows that, that relationship on my part allows me to get what I want out of the relationship to be able to do that. However, and Carla, I can explain this a little more is there are certain things that he can't get from me talking on the phone. Like if I stop for a pause, does that mean it's time for him to interject his thought? Where does where where do these pauses come? Where do these social these these different things in communication start? And he can explain those a lot better than I can because I kind of just learned them <laughs> as far as how it works. But I don't know how to explain it necessarily. So uh, I'll let Carlos stay with that. <laughs> I actually do enjoy face face communication, but. Uh, Part of the problem that I have with that, uh, part of the, the autism criteria is having difficulty with nonverbal behaviors and the regulation of social interaction. Um, no one ever tells you that it's your turn to speak. Mm-hmm. That's a nonverbal behavior. And the difficulty with working with those to regulate <laughs> conversation, uh, for me, in larger groups, it makes it a whole lot more difficult to... Uh, contribute and participate uh, because others will pick up on the opportunity to speak before I will and I will never get one. Mm -hmm. Uh, This problem is compounded on the phone uh, partly because of slight delay that often occurs um, Mm -hmm. but also because there's nothing to see. So it's it's whether there's a silence or not. 
Uh, I actually find the phone irritating for other reasons, so I don't like talking on the phone. I do like texting uh, because in text, I get to think about what it is that I want to say. I get to edit it as I'm generating it, uh, and then I can send it when it seems to say what it is that I want to say. Um, it, it allows conversations to sort of flow with someone's day, too. If I get busy in the moment, I can respond later to a text. Uh, and I, I have quite a few conversations going on most of the time with different people uh, that we respond to and contribute to as we get chances. Uh, I've even done this with you on and off. I, I was just thinking um, the same thing. <laughs> And that's something that I really enjoy. Um, I do enjoy it when uh, friends reach out to me uh, as well as me reaching out to others. And that gets back to the other part that Mario was talking about. Um, We were discussing uh, the different aspects of friendship we want to present to our audiences when we talk. And one thing that Mario wanted to dig into is Uh, what he perceived to be the scarcity mindset. Uh, So an autistic person needs to connect with a friend, and uh, he says it seems almost like we have to get all of the connecting done. We have to get all of the talking done uh, and all of that in a very short period of time. Um, And his theory is that it it seems like uh, such opportunities are very scarce, and so we have to get as much of it as we can to then prepare for the coming drought. Uh, I can't really say that his thinking is too far off the mark, um, but the problem isn't uh, so much in retraining autistic people concerning the scarcity uh, as it is actually addressing the scarcity. Uh, Leading up to me being diagnosed, Uh, the primary reason I was depressed is being disconnected with people. I was lonely. Uh, The only friend that I had before my diagnosis was my wife. And I I really needed to be able to connect with other people. Uh, Aside from not having uh, any friends, really, uh, I was actively rejected by a lot of people. Uh, So you might say that I had negative friends. Yeah. Um, so with positive connection actually being scarce and people actually telling me that they didn't like me, which reinforced the idea that it was very scarce, um, it, it is quite true. I, I do feel like the next time I talk to someone uh, uh, might be the last time I get to talk to them because I'm going to say or do something stupid and they'll never want to talk to me again. Hmm. Um, having a commitment to not have that happen helps me quite a bit Um, and I have gotten better over time as I have seen uh, a few people prove their commitment they they keep coming back Uh, and that that makes it easier for me to go longer periods of time without contact um I actually think that experiencing this consistently over time, um, 
I will probably be able to get a little closer to what Mario is talking about. I don't know. I'm sort of in new territory for me, uh, relationship-wise. But I think uh, I may get to the point to where I'm a lot more comfortable going for longer periods of time without contact. Mario, uh, it seems like um, your response to you know my uh, what I was trying to do is sort of summarize what what I felt like I was hearing, and I think what you added, and then what Carlisle was able to add uh, as well, um, is that it's beyond just knowing one another and um, accepting one another. Um, but also bearing up with one another, taking responsibility for one another. Um, I think um, the Apostle Paul might say, um, um, considering one another more important than yourself. That's correct. Uh, that it's that this person has um, that this person, because of their need, because they are different than me. Um, uh, part of my responsibility is to reach out to them in such a way and be aware of their of of their um, their needs, their otherness, in such a way that I'm sensitive to that, that I consider that, that I care about that. And then, uh, Carlisle, what I hear you saying is that you're you're also recognizing that Mario's doing that, but you also are are endeavoring in your own way to come closer, uh, uh, to come out of that of yourself that way as well. Um, right. That there's a, a mutual sacrifice here, a mutual submission, um, that I don't mean to borrow from the, the marriage language in Ephesians too much, but, um, but, that, but I think that mutual submission is meant for all people that we submit, therefore, to one another as to the Lord, sort of like a, you know, we recognize the image of God in the other, and we desire to develop the kinds of healthy relationships that make us both more whole. Um, you've given me plenty to think about, Um and I and I and much more so than I than I had even bargained for in this conversation. Um, is, are there any other reflections, um, uh, maybe about um, your kids? Um, I mean, that's something we didn't really even touch on. Um, Carlisle, um, do, would you tell me a little bit about your your daughter um, and uh, what? Uh, What's, how's her relationship with you? Uh, that almost makes me want to call her up here, but I don't know what she's doing at the moment. <laughs> uh, I, I like to think our relationship is is really nice. Uh, uh, today she actually had the day off from school and asked to go to work with me just so she could hang out, which I thought was great, especially considering it was such a busy day for me. Uh, she does seem to enjoy spending time with me and driving around. And of course she wants me to see her homework and her drawings and listen to her play her violin. Um, I think 
all of this has actually brought us uh, quite a bit closer uh, because not having had close relationships earlier in life, I value them tremendously, and so I I intentionally seek them out where I can. Uh, another benefit, and this is kind of an all-around benefit, is that my friendship with Mario is not in isolation. Yeah. Um, my whole family went to his house for his wife's birthday recently, and uh, other relatives of his were there as well. So we've basically become part of the family. Uh, aside from his autistic son, Mario has an autistic nephew. Uh, and I've gotten to know that little boy. We, I've actually gone fishing with him. Uh, his name's Jonah. In fact, I, I told him I was going to use him as bait to catch a whale. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's made it so that, uh, you know, I can help, uh, Jonah's mom better understand him. Uh, I've been able to help uh, Mario and his wife better understand and relate to their son, I think. Uh, go on top of that, their son doesn't like facial hair and has actually let me hug him without fighting. <laughs> him. So I feel like he and I have a pretty good connection. Yeah. Um, so I think all around... Uh, it's it's given us a lot of great relationships. I'd like to add something actually to that. So, and, and from the outside looking in at Carlisle's relationship and how it's affected, I'll talk a little bit more about mine, but from the outside looking in from his marriage, his relationship, and his relationship with his, uh, with his daughter, um, his daughter, uh, do you mind if I say her name? Ariel, sure. yeah. Ariel um, is a remarkable young woman a young lady. Uh, she is just a great kid. Um, she She's very caring, very friendly. Um, I think because Carlisle kind of kind of started to, to you know, kind of get into a little bit because he put so much into relationships that it's allowed her, showed her the type of, ex, the type of expectance that takes to build relationships. Mm-hmm. Because Carlisle puts 100% into every relationship, hoping that he's going to get what he wants from it to, 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 be able to, you know, to be able to establish that connection with someone. Well, he's done that, and like I mentioned earlier, how you do anything is how you do everything. When you put 100% into people all the time, then they learn how to do that. And it was easy for me to create a relationship with his wife, with his daughter, I mean, his daughter is like almost like a kid to me. I mean, she's like one of my kids. <laughs> I mean, uh, she's always welcome. As a matter of fact, I call her Sea Slug. That's her name, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and her wedding day, that will be her name, <laughs> you know. His, uh, his wife, because of the amount of time that he's put into relationship with her, it has also allowed her to be able to to, to model how to build relationships with others. So they naturally do that for other people. I've learned that from, from Carlisle. I see that from the outside looking. I don't think he realizes that, but that's something that's modeled in his family's behavior. And by picking that up, that's something that I try to do with relationships that I choose to have with people. I try to put 100% of myself into that relationship to model that behavior. 
And I think that's, 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 that's huge. And I know Carl, like I said, he just kind of started to allude to that, but I don't think he truly saw that. And this is the first time I mentioned this to him. So he's probably, I know that's just going through his head right now, <laughs> but, but that's, that's something that naturally happens. Um, his wife has been able to have a great relationship with my, with, with, with my, my wife, my family, my daughter, my son, my cousins. And he also mentioned about, I don't have a friendship with him in secret. You have people who will be friend of autistic and go, hey, let's go meet at this coffee shop. Let's go do this. You know, I will invite Carlisle to an event that my family is having. Hey, if he feels uncomfortable because there's too many neurotypical people, that hey, that's okay. <laughs> he is. I would not be offended if he says, hey, I got to take off a little early. I'm just a little overwhelmed. Hey, no big deal. But I don't keep the relationship in hiding. It's not like a secret society friendship that we have. And that's the problem. That is, that's a big problem that we have. Oh, yeah, I have, a, I, I have an autistic friend. <laughs> you know, I, I have an autistic friend. Like, or, or, or I have an African-American friend. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, man. <laughs> but like I said, I'm not politically correct, so I don't have a problem saying that. But, <laughs> but, but you have people say, oh, yeah, I, I have that one friend over there, so it's okay. No. Right. But, but it, it's how you... It's how you bring your friends into your relationship. I have a lot of people that I know that I'm acquainted with. I'm a very social guy. I talk to a lot of people, but I only invite so many people into my home. And those people are the ones that once you're in that circle, it's a circle. It's a circle of trust, and that's all it is. And I don't get offended by, if, like I said, if Carlisle wanted to leave early or do anything. You know, this, this weekend on Sunday, we're having a big old, pumpkin carving party. I've got probably 30 people coming to my little tiny home that I'm cleaning out the garage so we can fit everybody in it. But, but you know what? That's just the way it is. Everybody in my family is going to learn how to get together together. <laughs> and that's how we're going to, and that's how I, that's what I strive for. And like I said, in all honesty, the one thing that I've probably benefited the most that's helped me and my family, not just understanding my son, not just seeing the different behaviors and how it works, but it's seeing how when you put 100% of yourself into a relationship, how other people will naturally gravitate and learn from that. I've seen that example already in his daughter, and I've seen it in his wife. And if more people would take the time to see that, it would make a big difference. You know, uh, the cliche where my black friend, my gay friend, my whatever, those kinds of statements usually are a preface to something, uh, the next statement, which is going to be um, emphasizing the division between us, emphasizes those kind of stereotypes, but... Um, you're talking. What you're talking about is is something that's much, much more real. That recognizes the otherness, but um, doesn't see it as a division. Um, sees it as, if anything, um, uh, a, a blessing of diversity. Um, uh, to be able to get to know somebody and to be able to grow in a relationship with the other. Um, 
I just want to say thank you for um, being willing to share with me and share with um, the folks, our listeners at Forging Plowshares. Um, what uh, you have given us a lot to think about and a lot uh, to think about when it comes to living peacefully with one another. Um, as soon as uh, Carlisle told me that you guys had had these conversations and had been thinking about this and done some speaking about this, I thought, you know, that sounds an awful lot like um, something that we'd be interested in, in talking about. And uh, I wasn't disappointed. So I really hope that – I really am glad that you have been patient with the fact that our system has shut down on us, I think, three times now. And that my own schedule made it a little difficult to get together. Um, but uh, thank you guys so much for being willing to do this. Thanks for having us.